0: Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, many who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're gonna cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi guys and welcome to episode number 114 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by a special guest. He's a guy that has been listening to the podcast, and he reached out to me a few weeks ago and he was telling me about his incredible journey to rethinking alcohol. And I thought it was so inspiring that it did not take me any hesitation to reach out and ask him to join the show and share it with you guys today. So, Anthony, welcome to the show, dude. How are you doing?
1: I'm not bad, Patrick. How
0: are you? Yeah, very well, very well. And yeah, thanks for coming on, man. As I say, you know, you, you reached out, I read your story, and I was just... There were so many different elements to it, and it was kind of a amazing where you've got to now with it all as well. So really appreciate you coming on and being willing to share your journey with everyone.
1: An Absolute pleasure, really is. <laughs>
0: yeah, nice. All right, man. Well, why don't we just dive right in? Like, if you can give us a an idea of your journey as to what led you to where you are right now.
1: Um, from Ever since I can remember, um, I've always been around alcohol. Um, and one thing I've noticed in the podcast is it's a conditioning thing since you've been a child. Mm. Um, I always remember my mum and sister joking about when I had my first alcoholic drink or when we got Anthony drunk when he was five. And it's just kind of always been around it since then. Um, even in primary school, um, my mum used to get like a bottle of Bell's Whiskey, get a capful and put in a cup of tea for me. And she'd call that China tea. And she used to make me a flask of China tea to take to primary school with me. And bearing in mind, I was still in single figures at this time. I was like eight, nine years old. Uh, but to me, it was just absolutely normal. And then uh, going on to high school, going on uh, drinking um, on the park or before I we went to the youth club. And then again through college as well, uh, all the way through my teens, 20s and 30s, I've always been around drinking. It was really rare. A day went past where we didn't have a drink. Um, It got to a point, Um, I, um before I met my wife, I was in a rebu- an abusive relationship, both physically and mentally. There was no support. Um, No, there was nothing there at all. Uh, but with my wife, she gave me all the support and, and banter as well, which was good. Mm. Um, but um, before she actually became a wife, I had a heart attack two years ago, uh, quite a bad heart attack. Uh, that was a it was coming for a long time. The way I was carrying on with uh, drugs and alcohol and uh, just working, I was very high functioning. And then, um, so so, she, how,
0: so how old were you at that time then when you had that heart attack?
1: I was forty-one. Forty-one. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, literally, that was in February. And then in June, I had a cardiac arrest as well. Uh, my heart stopped for over eight minutes. Uh, my wife was there mm-hmm. on both occasions. Um, on when, when I had the cardiac arrest, I, I, she was going to work. She went downstairs to put her trainers on. And then when she came back upstairs, I was literally dropped dead in the bedroom. And she brought me back doing CPR. Um, and then the rapid response came around, And next thing I knew, I woke up in ICU. Not a clue what had happened or where I was. And they wouldn't let me speak to my wife because I was a bit delirious with it all. I had tubes. I was bed bound. I had no idea what had happened. Um, I spent three days in a coma. Uh, woke up in ICU. Spent about a week in ICU. And then this was during lockdown as well. Um, before I had COVID because I had a really bad cough. Mm-hmm. So they put me on the COVID ward. It turns out it was pneumonia. Um, but I didn't find that out until after I'd left hospital. Right. And that was a bit of a fright there. Um, again, didn't pay attention to any of those warnings at all, even though they should have been stamped on my head to say, you need to, something, needs to give, you need to change.
0: Well, uh, like, is it right like just to just ask a couple of questions as you're mm-hmm. going through, mate? Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> wow, so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, quite a story i'm sure guys listening will contest as well right but starting drinking at five like just so normalized from such a young age for yeah. you you know like that's that's insane really isn't yeah. it it's just... <laughs> yeah um and like, did you know like was that happening around you or what did you notice
1: um, well, one of all, drinking at five. It's um, again, I thought it was just not. It was a bit of a treat because my dad used to drink uh, cider, and when me and my brother were little, he always used to give us these little tumblers full of. Uh, he called it Easy Rider. He said, "Oh, do you want a glass of Daddy's Easy Rider?" And that'd make it mm. seem like fun, like a treat. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd I'd been hooked ever since then, you know, because it became normal. We were doing it not so much on a daily basis back then. Uh, but he's doing it frequently and I think that just kind of led on to um, how it did and it's only the past couple of months where I've had loads of little light bulb moments where my drinking's come from, where my behaviours come from and where my health problems have come from as well.
0: Yeah and so you know like you started at, (laughs) you you didn't start at five years old but you were given alcohol at five years old. Yeah. And then when did it start becoming regular for you? So you would mentioned around like the china tea that your mum called it when you were going to yeah. school yeah
1: um so that was just basically a normal cup of tea with a capful or two of a bell's whiskey right. in it um I'd get sent to school with a flask at that in my lunch uh no one was none the wiser uh, I think it was only me and my mummy you know maybe my brother as well um, but when it started getting a regular thing of drinking was when I was in a high school and started hanging out with friends um, mm. it was before the internet was about so you'd be hanging about on parks and youth clubs and things like that you go, yeah. <laughs> um, go to the local, yeah. You go to the local off licence, uh, get your ten cigs, box of matches, and a bottle of cider, and you were set for the night. Then, and that went on pretty much till I left school. Um, I found myself drinking during school when we used to wag it as well. Uh, go to the off licence because it was uh, East Manchester. is was uh, quite rough at the time, so I did, the, the guy at the off licence he didn't care who he was selling to. He just a couple of quid in his pocket.
0: Yeah. I also so, think it's very, very different. Like, so what is this in the 90s? You're talking, you were at school, high school. Yeah,
1: yeah, early, mid 90s. Well, yeah,
0: about, yeah, early 90s. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I'm not so far off. And I remember you used to be able to go in the newsagents and buy cigarettes with your school yeah. uniform on. <laughs> and yeah, even alcohol. <laughs> you, used to, you used to be able to buy single cigarettes, I remember, like 20p yeah. or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> yeah. You
1: still can right. in some places. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, by that, by that age, like your early teens, let's say, you'd already kind of started creating that dependency on alcohol, right? Like going out and socializing. Yeah. What, what was it doing for you, right? Like, other than the fact that you'd been exposed to it from a young age, like, why were you <laughs> drinking? Like, what was you believing about what alcohol was?
1: Again, it was the uh, confidence, uh, social acceptance as well with friends, yeah. um, trying to get on with my peers. Um, but it was all, um, is that I like the way in the podcast you talk about the brain and what the brain makes you think. Uh, mm-hmm. I find it absolutely fascinating. And this is what I actually think about looking back at it now saying this is what the brain has made me do. And it it it's just been creating false evidence for situations that are even there to make me think, you know, you want that drink. You want to be accepted. You want to be popular. You want to be confident. And this will give you everything you want. And mm. it, that's what it's been like ever since then up until uh, a few months ago.
0: Yeah. Wow. And then so, yeah, you went into hospital. You, you know, like you've had a heart attack, cardiac arrest. Mm. What I'm curious, like what the hospital saying to you right like with what was the advice or the guidance like how honest were you with how what was going on for you
1: um on my heart when i had my heart attack like the first instance i was completely honest with him they said have you had any drugs it's like yeah i had um cocaine the night before my heart attack i was smoking weed i was smoking cigarettes and they knew straight away by my blood count that i drank as well because uh, they were just pretty much <laughs> off the charts I'm on a, is it thymine uh vitamin B? Uh, All right, I'm, yeah. I'm on that. I've been on that for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was my wife just said, just be open and honest about it. Just tell them what's happened. Tell them what you've been on, Um, which it did do. And it just made for, I won't say a pleasant more ride, but it just helped them do the job a bit more Um, in the transition from home to the hospital. And then when I got to the hospital, um, the thought was definitely there uh, to stop drinking. But I don't think I was really ready to do it otherwise i would have done it
0: yeah and uh, like but even before then had it crossed your mind that it was excessive or you were just like in it
1: yeah no um definitely crossed my mind it's excessive because i've had loads of situations where i would fallen out with people fallen out with friends mm. um falling out with family and uh, i just didn't care I, the only thing i cared about was where the next drink was coming from um in college as well that it was right through that because you would going to the pub on your dinner um going back to college drunk doing your lessons drunk um and when i left college straight into work and then um one job i had it was in uh, manchester and i knew the off license in uh, manchester i used to get to manchester about 6 a.m i'd buy a can of cider that would go down before i got to work First break, run back around to the same off license. Dinner time, about three or four pints, last break, another drink, and then a bus beer on the way home. And that went on for years. That was every day. A bus beer. <laughs> yeah, a bus beer. <laughs> I did I told my wife about that. She's like, What what the fuck a bus what's a bus beer? <laughs> yeah. And um I've got like I've kept a sober diary, whole photographs from from like day one up to today. And I went to a concert last week you know, in Manchester, and I've got a bottle of uh, sparkling water. And I just took a picture of it and put a caption, swapped my bus beers for water. <laughs> so, oh,
0: mate. Yeah, I love that. That give me goosebumps, you're telling me that. <laughs> That's really cool. What a great thing to do as well, to, to keep a sober diary as well as, of your journey, because it's going to be amazing to look back on it.
1: Yeah, well, I do journaling as well. Um, mm. and I keep a photographic diary because I, I picked the absolute worst photo I could think of of me drunk, which was only in January. Um, and it's not relating to an, any incident or anything, but it's just the look of me on that photograph. It was just like, yeah, I, I'm really gotten there.
0: It's incredible, man. Like, when you see before and after pictures of people who've been drinking, and once they've had like, I don't know, a few, even just a couple of months, right? Like, you can probably already notice some difference. I just don't think people appreciate how much, or how bad alcohol is for you, and how much of an impact it's having on, on your, you know, like bloated and how you age and all of those types of things with your skin.
1: Yeah, well, everything that had gone on, uh, that wasn't even though it was a rock bottom of sorts. That wasn't my rock bottom to stop drinking. I still carried on drinking after all mm-hmm. of that had happened. Yeah. Um. So it is mad, and uh, it's actually quite. It, looking back on it now, it's quite mad what actually happened. Is that I had a massive falling out with my wife. Uh, I'd moved out of the house. Uh, she was staying at her friend's that night. Um, I'd left the dogs on their own. I'd packed my suitcase. I went to the place where I was going to stay. I was solidly drinking for like two to three days and like 8% cider. Um, my wife was trying to get in touch with me. She was trying to phone me and I was just ignoring the calls completely. Um, I was just drinking, feeling really sad about everything, about what was going to happen. Am I going to go to work? What's going to happen with my marriage? And everything just got a bit on top. And then uh, at the night time, it was raining. The weather was awful, and I was like, "That's it. Uh, end of it. Uh, you, you know, you know what you need to do." Which wasn't at the time. I wasn't thinking give up drinking. It was just end it all. Just do it there. Mm-hmm. Do the world a favor. Do yourself a favor. And I texted my wife and I said I don't feel safe. I'm in a dark place, and she rang me up and we spoke. And um, I'd agreed not to drink any more that night, and she wanted to come and pick me up that night, mm-hmm. um, but I said no because I didn't want her to see me in that state at all. I was uh, self-loathing. I was having a little pity party for myself. And but if she hadn't have answered, if she hadn't have rang me that night, I don't think I would have been here today. So. Um, I've had this conversation with her already, but at the time she actually saved my life a third time. Not I, yeah. she really did. Wow.
0: Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's those dark thoughts, man. They're not pleasant to experience. No. And especially, no. especially when you, when you're drinking, they can, they can spiral. And spiral exactly. fast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that, that's what they were doing. And, um, it was like listening to the podcast, um, has really helped me uh, learn to recognize when your brain is doing that because mm. uh, my was going away uh, next month to crack out with her friends having a girly a uh, couple of days and she told me how long she was going for and my brain just went into overdrive because when I was drinking I thought she was cheating texting other people it, things like that and mm-hmm. I've heard other people um, you know um, relate to that as well and I must admit that has just stopped really yeah but, uh, when I when I first started drinking and she told me how long she was going away for, my brain just went, right, well, she's going away. You can drink this. You can do that. Why is she going away? Start an argument. Create some sort of excuse to have a drink. And I just said to my wife, I, I need to go upstairs for a couple of minutes. I just need to think this over. And until I could actually vocalize what was going on, I just needed to think about it. And then I came downstairs. I'd explained to her, um, you know, my thought process through it all and what was happening and how I'd learned to recognize it and everything and it was absolutely fine but it was in that moment when I recognized what my brain was trying to do I knew that the sober me was taking control I was mm. taking my life back and uh, it, it was all thanks to you patrick in the podcast
0: well nice giving one, tools dude. me the to help me do that yeah well right. what fucking great awareness as well like to 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 spot what your brain was getting up to but to actually not invest in it Like not to buy into what was going on, like seeing what the agenda was and just actually taking that space to go upstairs and just kind of gather your thoughts and and notice it.
1: Normally, I would just go out and get a few cans and then think about the rest in the morning. But something just didn't ring straight with me. I knew something wasn't right. And that's when I was thinking about. It's like it was like a light bulb moment. It really was. It's like this has happened. And I knew why it happened and why it was doing it. And then uh, obviously uh, came came back down and told my wife. And I said, I wasn't being funny. Or, I said, but this is how my brain was working. And this is how I'm retraining it to think now.
0: Yeah. Oh, dude, that's fucking epic. And I love that the sober me was taking over. Yeah. It yeah. was,
1: again, it was like a light bulb moment. I just felt something just like clicked. And then uh, it was like an epiphany, really. It really was
0: yeah you know so you've been listening to the podcast and it's about identity right it's like how we identify to ourselves and that right there is is an identity right like the sober me yeah and <laughs> he showed up he, did, he did eventually yeah it. yeah and so was it after you kind of noticed you were having those uh, suicidal dark thoughts? You reached out to your partner, then that's when you were like, well, I'm not going to drink again. Or what was that f- final catalyst for you to go, right, this is, I- I'm done? Or, or what even was that belief to help you it, get there?
1: It was just the fact that everything I put my uh, wife through that weekend, um, she rang me. She taught me through it. She was going to come and pick me up and bring me home. Um, and it was just a faith she had in me that she didn't want to give up on me. Um, I mean, we've not even been married that long, but the fact that she was there for me, even through the heart attack and cardiac arrest, Um, that's how we was already engaged. But when I was in a coma, she said, if I come out of the coma, she'd promise to marry me, which uh, she's kind of wishing she hadn't <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah. no, it, it, it was just a, belief that other people had in me and i didn't realize how many people were actually behind me because i always thought i was on my own dealing with things on my own and it wasn't until something like that actually happened and then like i said my wife just a belief my wife had in me uh, to ring me and say come home we can sort it out we can get past this because we've had arguments in the past where i've said to her right that's it i'll just stop drinking and I'll just trick, feel light to myself and said, well, I can have a drink when I go out for a meal or something like that. And then you're back on the slippery slope again. Mm.
0: Yeah. And so what was the belief that you had when you recognised, like your wife and other people were there to support you? Like what did you intentionally choose to think about yourself that enabled you to make that change?
1: Basically I put myself in my wife's shoes and it's like, how would I see me if I was like that? Mm. It's like, and I really couldn't empathize with myself. Um, and I thought rather than do that, um, the thought of losing everything like my wife, my granddaughter, my, my life. Um, cause when I died, um, on my cardiac arrest, the amount of people that got in touch with my wife over it saying they couldn't believe it. It was, it was overwhelming. And, um, it should have been situations like that that made me stop drinking, but it didn't. Um, it took nearly losing my life again, uh, to look at it like that um, I've recently been just finished uh, cardiac rehab as well I did that first six weeks that got me into exercising because uh, that was twice a week Uh, I've actually joined a gym where I'm working out two or three times a week as well now oh, amazing So, uh, I picked up uh, my wife bought me a bass guitar for my birthday because I used to play a lot in my youth and I've been picking that up and because I I was so scared when I dis- when I made the decision not to drink anymore because I didn't know life after drink mm. um I didn't know uh, what was I going to stay friends with people uh, what how am I going to handle going out um but I've been proving everything wrong he's like I can go out you know watch a band and not have a drink I can go out for a meal and uh, not have a drink with going out for a meal, what got it for me was, uh, on my birthday, we went to Southend-on-Sea, because uh, my wife was working there, and I seen a zero-alcohol uh, beer on the menu, and I thought, I'll just try it, because I was never normally into the uh, alcohol-free beers, and with the meal, it made all the difference, it really did, so it wasn't just like a boring meal, it was just a meal with a drink, an like alcohol-free drink. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Um, but it it made all the difference, and I've been doing that when We've been out for meals, is like having a Heineken zero or a Moretti zero, um, or sometimes just even your basic lime and soda.
0: Mm. Uh, Nothing wrong with a lime and soda, no, (laughs) (laughs) apart from when you've had four pints of them and you're (laughs) about to explode. (laughs) Uh, I don't do that anymore. Oh, yeah, so there's so many good things in there that I'd love to just keep asking you questions about it. that's yeah. right man yeah of so, course uh, you you shared there some of the things that have changed for you since stopping drinking right which i think is fantastic because you know identifying that scared of like well what's life like without after what's life like without alcohol
1: yeah because i
0: think that's where a lot of us can get stuck sometimes a lot of us don't want to actually look past that because we get so attached like well what life looks like with alcohol even if it's terrible by that stage Mm -hmm. and so you mentioned right like creating new habits and new routines like going to the gym taking up bass guitar again like what what are there or are there any other things that you've started doing differently as a result of not drinking
1: well it's that since uh, i mean i've been alcohol free about two and a half months roughly yeah. And mentally, the things I've noticed uh, change wise is unreal is the way I used to think, the way I used to act, the way I used to talk to people and uh, uh, the subject matter we used to talk about as well. Uh, my wife has noticed physical things because uh, under my eyes were going yellow, uh, you know, through mm-hmm. liver damage. Um, they looked like two bleeding um, high vis pens under my eyes. It was that bad. Uh, but that's all gone now. Uh, I've lost weight. I'm actually getting fitter as well. Because um, I had a, apart from a heart attack and cardiac arrest, I had an angina attack in May, just gone. And that's kind of where the start of it all, the start of my uh, sobriety was. Because uh, that was a warning I didn't pay attention to. Carried on drinking. And then obviously I had that issue with my wife. And that's where it all came from. But it took. On my dinner hour at work where I'm working now, I used to go for a walk for about an hour. It was about two and a half, three miles, something like that. Yeah. And I had my angina attack and it took all the confidence out of me completely. And Because if I went out for that long, I was on my own. There was nobody there in case something happened. And uh, it was on uh, Trafford Park in Manchester. And it's not the most scenic place. It's a big, massive industrialist. And I mean huge industrialist estate and after going to cardiac rehab but it's only simple exercises and cardio and the design so you can do it at home as well and even after the first few weeks of doing that my confidence built so much I started doing my big walks at work again and it got to a point it's like well what am I going to do after that and it's like you know I'll join a gym and the state of mind I'm in now is like what I'm doing I'm always forward planning or trying to Mm. you know so i've always got something in place because every day is a different day every day is a new day and i'm thankful for every day that i wake up now rather than just thinking about when can i have a drink
0: yeah that's it right like those those three p's of sobriety planning practice yeah. and patience
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah and that's it, And through you know when you your life doesn't stop when you stop drinking your life is starting <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion right yeah. like no, I there's, agree. I do. Yeah, there's so many so many other things that you can you can go and try or retake up or experience. So yeah, that's awesome, man. And then there was something else you said around proving yourself wrong. Kind of like in that same vein of what we've just been speaking about, right? Like you you wanted to prove yourself wrong about these experiences like going to the restaurants and stuff like that yeah, where, where did um, that come from
1: that came out of um fomo and uh not jomo <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah um it's like you can like the fear of missing out it's like everyone else is gonna be drinking why can't i and then um there'd be times where i would go for a meal and my wife would say do you mind if i have a glass of wine and it's like no of course not it's like just business as usual it's like it's just that like i'm not drinking And it's like, can I actually do this? And it's like, part of me was thinking, you're going to find it really hard. Um, The thought process of it all, am I going to spend minutes thinking about it again? And it's just like, you just need to get out and do it. It's like, if you find it too hard, you can always go. It's absolutely fine. And then um, it's completely different than having the consequences of doing something when you've had a drink or when you're drunk. It's like, if if you're finding something too hard, just go and take a breather it's absolutely fine and I was saying to myself I know I can do it and then part of me saying no you can't it's like well I'm I was arguing with myself and it's like I am going to prove you wrong and that's just like going out for meals going out to watch a band and not having a drink going and sitting in a pub with friends and not having a drink and I've managed to do it and it, it's naturally as daunting as what I first thought
0: yeah and this is it right like in 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 the space of two three months almost of not drinking like how quickly you can really rewire your brain yeah, you know really when, like, when you put like you're doing the work towards it of course right like you're actively yeah. thinking about what you're doing and putting that planning in place but it's like that's how quickly it can change for you guys right like it doesn't have to be this kind of long hard slog of trying to quit and start and quit and start again but you know when we actually do this work it can really change very quickly and, and like what what in terms of your thinking, like how do you spend your days? Like, what are you thinking about when it comes to not drinking, or are you even thinking about not drinking?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, the thought always crosses my mind about a drinking stuff. Uh, so, like, if you've had a bad day at work or anything yeah. like that, I so I, I've got plenty of pop at home, like sugar-free drinks and fizzy drinks. Um, but and then when I do think about drinking, it's not urges like it would have been. It is just a thought. And there was an episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually fully caught up with all the podcasts. I'm only on the the seven days in one week one at the minute. I mean I'm on seventy four point two at the minute. I was listening <laughs> to that today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, but there was one I was listening to um, where he's saying about uh, anti alcohol and uh, sober conscious, and um, definitely sober conscious because I was in the supermarket with my wife and she was getting a bottle of wine for her parent's anniversary, and she's like, "Are you okay being on this aisle?" I said, yeah, absolutely fine. And she always tells me how proud she is, of me all the time. And then she was doing that then, and it just clipped back to one of the episodes saying about sober conscious, it's like, it's just liquid in a bottle. It's nothing more, nothing less, that's all it is. And that's how I've started to think of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really powerful. And it truly is, it really is liquid in a bottle, and it can't yeah. do anything to you until you pick it up and drink it, right? And so it all just comes back to like remembering that you're in control. Like that like, that's sober you, right? Like that's the guy in yeah. charge. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So when did you start listening to the podcast?
1: Um, it was the 12th of June um, this year. Um, when my wife came and picked me up from where I was at the time, that was the 11th of June. Um, I'd spoken with my doctor uh, for a referral for help with uh, depend- alcohol dependency and uh, mental health issues. Um, later on, I would realize my mental health issues were due to the alcohol. Because um, yeah, it was just one and the same thing. It was just making me think different things. And they referred me to an organization called Turning Point. Now, they're a fantastic organization for people with addictions. Um, I've used them in the past before, uh, a long time ago. Um, but they were just like phone calls. And because by the time I'd got in touch with them, I'd already been a week uh, alcohol-free. Mm-hmm. and they were quite reluctant because they were dealing with people who were quite deep in addiction uh, but they agreed to take me on because i told them that i was suicidal told them what had gone on and how long i'd been drinking so they assigned me a, a caseworker who had spoke to uh, once every couple of weeks just asked me how i was how i was doing and i was just telling him he's like you've got to listen to this podcast you really have it's great he's taught me this he's talking me that and uh, whereas he actually took a note of it as well but um on that 12th of june um I was searching for stuff because I realized I couldn't do it on my own. And with dealing with people like Turning Point before, for me, it wasn't enough at the time. And I kind of had the same feeling it was going to be like that again. Mm-hmm. So I was just literally looking on Spotify and I just put something like help, help with alcohol. And then uh, you were one of the ones that came up. And I thought a bit reluctant at first to listen to it. Cause I'd, obviously, I'd never heard the podcast. I just knew it was about rethinking alcohol. And I've been hooked from the first episode. It's just the way you talk about uh, your story as well, the guests that you've had on and all. And it's completely in a non patronizing, non judgmental way. And uh, the the way you talk about the brain as well, it's really taught me a lot. It has.
0: Yeah, nice. And, you know, that learning doesn't stop here, right? Like, it's not just about, it's just the understanding of the brain and how it works and how we can talk to ourselves and be incredibly mean to ourselves sometimes Mm and you know it's that whole shame shame guilt loop cycle that actually perpetuates what we're doing and you saying earlier about like the the insecurities you'd have and stuff and I I think that's what happens right like when you're drinking or especially when you're taking drugs like cocaine right paranoia goes up anxiety goes up and so yeah, those those things, they get removed once you take away the uh, yeah. alcohol. So what what was it like for like the first couple of weeks or month of not drinking for you?
1: Oh, yeah, the first week was really hard because the thought was always there. Uh, my wife wasn't always there because um, she, she works away quite a lot. So mm-hmm. she was obviously worried about me as well. And that was on my mind. And um, it was a case of just having to trust myself not to do it. And then as the time went on, and um, I was finding it easier and easier. And I was listening to the podcast every single day, uh, sometimes multiple episodes in a day as well. And that was sort of like my safety blanket. I could listen to it. And uh, when you've had guests on as well, it's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. They've been through that as well. And then it's just realizing you're not on your own with it all. Mm. And it, it has got a lot easier as time's gone on. I mean, I know it's only been two and a half months. But it seems a lot longer. No,
0: no, but it's not. It's not only two and a half months. It's like fuck. It's two and a
1: half months, man. Like
0: it's huge. It's a massive thing.
1: It's like six months ago. If you were to say someone, I'd be alcohol free for two and a half months. Being a guest on a podcast about rethinking alcohol, (laughs) and it just told you fuck right off. (laughs) They really would have done.
0: Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that, mate. (laughs) Yeah, and so because it um. I'm not sure that you would have listened to it yet, but I talk about the sober toolkit. And so your sober toolkit in those first couple of weeks was one, just listening to the podcast to actually seeing other people going through that same process. So it helped to kind of reinforce, I'm not alone. This happens for other people, right? Like it immediately takes away that kind of isolation that we can create yeah, for ourselves. Uh That was, there's that piece around trust as well, right? Like how, can you tell us more about that? Like, how did you create more trust in yourself?
1: It was basically um, one time. Um, it was within the first couple of days of me coming back home. And then uh, my wife was working away. She had to go overnight. Um, and obviously, she was worried. Um, I I had money. And it, I was just literally debating with myself for hours and hours. It's like, well, she's not here. She won't know. I can mm. just go out and get a few drinks. And um normally when i've said or lied to myself about giving up drinking that's what i would have done um but this time around it was something had changed it's like no you can't do it it's like even though you're doing it for yourself you've got to prove it to yourself you've got to trust yourself but not only yourself you've got to prove it to your wife as well that you can do this you're not a completely lost cause um because of the amount of trust and belief she's placed in me it was uh it was my job to do that and uh There was one time I was going to my brother's, uh, getting the bus there. And I thought, you know, I can just nip to the offer on the way there. No one will be none the wiser. And it's like, but I will be. Yeah. And then I I spoke to my brother about it because my brother's a counsellor as well. And um, I was telling him about the thought process and everything like that. And the sense of achievement I felt was unreal. I felt felt cleansed. I felt that good. I really did. And then that's when I knew I could trust myself. Yeah, That was like a light bulb moment knowing I could do that. It's like the temptation was there. I could have done it. Nobody apart from me would have known. But even when I think about having a drink now, it's like beer theory without the beer. Because <laughs> it's, it's like, I know it would just be crippling guilt, you know, if, I, if it was a secret I was trying to keep to myself. I just wouldn't be able to do it.
0: Yeah. I love that, mate. Yeah. And and that's why celebrating yourself is so fucking big on this journey, yeah. right? Like just even that one thing of like getting on a bus and not having a drink after your brain's trying to argue with you about, well, no one's going to know and stuff and not doing it. Like, as you said, like that created more trust in yourself yeah. and that beer fear without the beer. Like th- that's what I notice often happens with the guys I'm working with as well. Right. Like In the beginning, it's like there's the fear that I'm never going to be able to stop drinking. But then yeah. it And then it starts to shift towards the fear of drinking, right? And obviously, we don't want to live our lives through fear, but it's far better to be having a drink than it is to <laughs> yeah. fear never being able to stop again, right?
1: Definitely. It really is. Uh, another thing, I was speaking to uh, one of my colleagues, and uh, she gave up drinking a while ago now. And I told her a couple of, like, um, when I got the email that I was going to be on your podcast and everything. And she's like, oh, have you heard of Terry McGilbert? And I went sassy sober mom <laughs> and <laughs> I nice. just started off a whole new conversation uh, with me and my colleague and it's like a different level of respect for each other as well um but she's been really good on advice as well you know about going out and things like that so uh yeah it's a uh, hit off a whole new level of uh, friendship here.
0: yeah and again right like, that's just another one of those things that happens is that once you make that change and you're very committed to it is that there... Again, another fear that pops up is like, well, I'm not going to have my mates. Or I'm not going to be able to speak to anybody. But like, there's a lot of fucking people on this planet called yeah. Earth. And <laughs> there's a lot of people who also don't drink. And there are conversations to be had. I remember I when I went to Morrison's earlier this year or uh, yeah, no, end of last year to celebrate or oh, going into my fifth year of sobriety. And having a whole conversation with the woman about the balloon that I was buying. She was like, thought it was for my kids or something. I was like, no, it's my fifth year of surprise. And then I'm having a conversation about how her, her, I think it was her nephew was an alcoholic and her sister used to be an alcoholic. And it's just, it, there's just like that instant like rapport and respect. Yeah. Because we know how hard it is, <laughs> you know, yeah. not, not, not hard as in, well, it is hard right like it is hard but it doesn't have to be as hard as it is made out to be sometimes right because like, you're you're the evidence of that like when you start putting the work into it
1: that's it and um, it's like um i'll I'll use my bass guitar for an example you've got to put the hours in if you want to be any good at it you've got to put mm. the hours in um and not show if you've got to commit to it and um it's like when um my wife she when she's working away and she's Spoke to people um, like her friends who have had uh, partners with alcohol problems. And they've managed to talk on a different level about it as well. And like I'll say compare notes, but um, I don't know, just uh, compare with each other, uh, their experiences. Mm. And it's um, opening up and listening to my wife. And then telling her how I'm feeling as well is a massive uh, change. It's something I never used to do. And it's uh, just having someone like her listen to me. It's great
0: yeah and that's it and and even if uh you tell someone how you feel and like without them having to try and fix or give you advice or anything just to get it off your chest right like which is why yeah. I love journaling where I love coaching because they're all the modalities where you can do that kind of thing or even counseling as you mentioned as well right
1: yeah it's uh yeah journaling um I- i've been i started mine on the 26th of june that was my two week uh being sober um but there was an episode that i was listening to now this is something i never would have thought of doing in my life before apart from joining the gym and like working out two or three times a week there was an episode he did on a meditation and i was um stood at a bus stop on the way home from work and i listened to it for like 10 minutes the whole meditation with the music and i thought i can't see myself meditating but um, to keep tracking my fitness and everything, i got a uh, Fitbit mm. and I'm doing mindfulness exercises every single day now. I am. Everything's completely changed. It's uh, it's like waking up from the best sleep you've ever had when you do them. It's, uh, <laughs> I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah. Mindfulness, again, another powerful tool to go in a sober toolkit because it's just about being present, right? Like when you're present, yeah. there's nowhere else you can be. You don't have to yeah. worry about the f- the future or the past or whatever.
1: That's it. But I never normally when someone would say meditating to me, you picture someone there with their arms up going on Yeah, uh, I think this is the still, challenge
0: sometimes. Yeah.
1: But um I just tried a few exercises at one time and it's just I felt so relaxed afterwards and it's that was a light bulb moment and I was like I can see myself doing this more often and uh, like keeping on top of my fitness now. I do mindfulness every single day. Um I absolutely love it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, nice one. Yeah, again, it's just that, just putting in those new habits and new routines in place for you, right? Like That all serve you in much higher regard. Yeah. Nice. All right, dude, a couple of questions um, before we finish this episode. And I've, I've loved having you on, man. I really loved exploring your journey and having you share with everything that's come up. And so first question is, is there anything that you would offer to any of the guys out there listening right now
1: yeah um, I'd say just trust yourself um, you're obviously listening to the podcast for a reason if you're still thinking about doing it make the decision um, commit to it because um, if you're not ready for it you're just going to lie to yourself and that's yourself is one of the worst people you can lie to because mm-hmm. then that'll just project onto other people and um, but yeah, just if you're gonna do it, make sure you're ready to do it and then commit to it. It is a lot easier than it than people make out it, it is, and just make sure you've got the best support network behind you. You might already have it and don't know it, but don't let it get to a stage where I did where you find out you've got it.
0: Yeah, that's such great advice actually because sometimes we just assume that people won't support us or that yeah. they they won't like it or whatever and then some of that may be true but often it's not. It really not isn't. It, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, final question, dude. What does it mean to be radically human?
1: Oh God, I've, I've thought about this one every single time you've asked it. Um, it's only short and sweet but to be radically human for me is being true to yourself and embracing change Mm. Uh, you've got to be ready to adapt and just move at the times but be true to yourself
0: nice and as humans we're incredible at adapting as well right and it's just let's be mindful of what we're adapting to
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely uh
0: dude well listen I appreciate you for reaching out in the first instance and also for coming on today because I think so many guys are going to get so much value from what you've had to offer. Really, you know, your journey, but also how you've got to where you are now is just amazing and is going to be an inspiration for a lot of guys out there.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, my absolute pleasure. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Anthony, for bringing your sober self onto the show and sharing all of your journey. Really, really appreciate it and loved our conversation. Until next time, guys, take care. Bye-bye.